Why are we so mad at each other? We're not fighting about slavery. What are we fighting about? We're fighting about stuff that isn't real, mostly. You know, Barack Obama a very is point. a Kenyan, or, um, right. or, or Sandy Hook is a fraud. Or getting, pulling back from that a little bit, that, you know, immigrants are taking over the country, or, you know, it's, it's a lot of myth, it's a lot of drummed up anger. That's David Horsey, two-time Pulitzer Prize-winning political cartoonist. Dave will join us today for some observations, and particularly on his question, why are we so angry? What are we so angry about as a country? Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer. Ezzedine Downs, he's the president and CEO of the International Fund for Animal Welfare, And he'll be joining us a little later, and he'll be talking about the habitat and conservation efforts to help people and animals thrive together. The International Fund for Animal Welfare just celebrated its 50th anniversary. Paul S. Huffiger is the CEO of Hyperbaric Medicine International. Dr. Javier Figueroa, who is on the board of directors, will be joining us today in the last half hour of the show. Javier is also co-founder and president of the Brain Health and Healing Group. We're going to be talking about hyperbaric therapy. It's been around for a very long time, but there is still a lot of mystery surrounding its benefits. Well, there is no mystery to the two gentlemen who will be joining us here today. We have the experts, and we'll be talking about that. Now, this show is live, and if you'd like to call in at any point, you can call one 298 5566 excuse me, Five five six nine. That's one triple eight two nine eight five five six nine. If you want to call me about anything about the show another time after the show is over, my phone number is two zero six four five nine five five three six, and make a suggestion for any topics you want to hear sometime in the future. So let's get right to it. Back with my interview with David Horsey in just a few moments. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word. I had the opportunity to visit with David Horsey, Pulitzer Prize-winning David Horsey, actually two Pulitzer Prizes, for his cartoons that he's been doing for many, many years. I've actually been observing his great work since the 1980s. After a stint with the LA Times, he is back in Seattle, and I visited with him at the Seattle Times offices. I am just going to play part of the interview I had with him today, but we'll play the entire interview with him in the coming weeks. This country has never been so divided, at least in my lifetime. People are shouting at each other. They're not listening to other people's points of view. I asked David, does he have any insights as to how we got here? You certainly can point to other periods in American history, whether, you know, and the 1850s or, you know, the leading up to the Civil War is the best period to look at as maybe something similar where anger was so high that people shooting each other in Kansas and uh, fights breaking out in Congress. But 
in a way, there was more reason for that. If, if we were at that level of anger, you got to say, why? What are we, why are we so mad at each other? We're not fighting about slavery. What are we fighting about? We're fighting about stuff that isn't real, mostly. You know, Barack Obama a very is point. a Kenyan. Or, um, right. or, or Sandy Hook is a fraud. Or getting, pulling back from that a little bit, and that, you know, immigrants are taking over the country. Or, you know, it's, it's a lot of myth. It's a lot of drummed up anger. We certainly have problems. Certainly not the level that we experienced during the Depression, where there are a lot of things we should be able to get together on. The Republican Party has been become a radical party, a reactionary. I'm not sure which it would be the best word, but and that has skewed our politics a lot. There used to be all these forces kind of pushing people toward the middle. When we were growing up, especially in Washington State, there was this solid center. You know, where Dan Evans worked and where, uh, you know, Martin Durkin worked and, you know, didn't really make a whole lot of difference if you were a Democrat or a Republican. You could figure out, okay, what do we need to do and what's a smart way to do it? You know, I think that was exceptional in this country, the sort of politics we often had in this state. But, uh, you know, that doesn't exist really anywhere anymore that I can see because the there is no, there are, there are no moderate Republicans anymore. There's, they're, they're, they're conservatives, and then they're right-wing loons who seem to be driving the, the party. Um, and you know, Democrats, they're still a center, but they're kind of getting tugged really to the left more uh, in reaction to the, to the right wing. So there's a, a lot of noise and heat and anger, that, but it's almost more. Uh, a creation of this media world that we've been describing and the ability to silo ourselves off and not have to listen to other opinions and this also this interesting phenomenon of people choosing to live in places where everybody else thinks like them you know like I mean Seattle Slade Gorton and Dan Evans were elected from Seattle, they had political careers that started here. I, it's hard to see that happening. I don't view as a Republican in any district in Seattle. Left no, oh no. And then in and Eastern Washington, I think there's one Democratic right. representative in Spokane, and yeah. that's it. Yeah, that demographic change, which is documented and real, I'm not quite sure what has driven that, but people physically are separating themselves. What I see is. Scariest thing is that other than this, um, what's his representative uh, from Michigan, Republican of Mass is his name, or yeah. Justin? I didn't even hear yeah, about yeah, him until yeah. this and weekend. I can't remember his name. And he's standing up, the only one. Right. I mean, back when you go to 80 or you go back to 76, there were Democrats, Republicans challenging Nixon, some Republicans right. stepping out and doing it this way. But all this from this individual we have in the White House, I'm being generous there, <laughs> is that everybody's silent. No one will say a thing. That to me is the yeah. most scary. That's what we were kind of right, saying. Right. I think. Yeah, yeah, and I, I've been saying for a while that you know, as annoying and infuriating as Trump is, he he didn't create this. He's he's a result of this. That this has been building up, and he just happened to come at the right moment with the right message and 
style. I mean, he basically is, he is an entertainer as much, he could, you know, he was more or less a Democrat not that long ago. He just, he has adopted this because it works. Uh, he has a brand he's been trying to sell for years and it's like, well, it's selling to these people here, so I guess I'll be whatever they want me to be. I will, that's what I am. Well, the bad news is that this part of my interview with David Horsey has come to a close. The good news is that I have about 25 more minutes of interview material that I will be playing on future shows. Now, as I said in my introduction, I have been a big fan of David Horsey's work for, gosh, 40 years now. And I suggest if you want to see some of his great work over the years, all you need to do is Google David Horsey, and that's H-O-R-S-E-Y. And if you do, you will have a very compelling walk through Northwest, American, and world history. Plus, it's a lot of fun. Ezzedine Downs, President and CEO of the International Fund for Animal Welfare, is my guest. He has been in that position since 2012, but he has been with the International Fund for Animal Welfare for over 20 years. I had an extensive conversation with Mr. Downs, which I will feature extensively over the coming weeks. But today I just want to play a short clip of our conversation. The International Fund for Animal Welfare has a presence in more than 40 countries today with the major mission of helping people and animals thrive together. I asked Ezzedine, are people getting the message? I think people are seeing the issues in a new light. Um, sometimes... Sometimes you'll hear, oh, well, the animals are moving into our neighborhood. So you have urban wildlife issues. Uh, here on Cape Cod, you'll hear there are too many seals. Uh, the sharks are coming. You know, so we have a, an issue in the last couple of years. There's more and more white sharks coming in uh, to the area to, to get the food. Um, the reason I bring that up is that oftentimes conservation in particular is a faraway land. Uh, people, people often ask me, well, why should I care about elephants? Why should I care about rhinos? Uh, I'm in the U.S. Uh, they're not here. But more and more, because of habitat loss, you will see animals coming uh, down from the mountains, out of the forests, uh, including, you know, dangerous animals. We have mountain lions, and you see instances where lions are on the beaches in California, and people are saying, well, we can't let them be here. Uh, but the fact of the matter is it's, it's not because the animals have decided to move into human space. It's because humans have moved into the animal space. Uh, and that's equally true in, in Africa, um, where, you know, I was talking about the fortress conservation the fence was there and, and people and animals were separated uh, as, as part of a conservation approach. But the reality is people are living 
more and more with wildlife, whether they want to or not. And so that's why we're really focused on animals and people thriving together in, in the new brand, because the reality is population growth, human population growth, and habitat loss is is the reality today that drives animals and people actually living together. And so, you know, are people more aware of it? Yes. Are they all reacting positively? Unfortunately, no. And and that's why you hear there are too many seals. There are too many sharks. Um, there are too many whales. There there are too many rabbits eating my my uh, garden flowers. Uh, there are too many turkeys. These are all things that that we get pushback on. And you know, I I try to simplify the message by saying, well, are you willing to share the earth? Are you willing to share the space? And the interesting thing about it is that the pushback that um, many African countries will, will put forward in an international forum is the West destroyed much of the, the resources around the world. Why are we paying for their sins? And people who love animals in the United States or in Europe uh, are forcing us to live with lions and uh, hippos, which uh, uh, kill more people than any other animal in Africa, interestingly enough. Um, but they're not willing to put up with wildlife in their own homeland. Even simple things, and that's, you know, it's kind of funny, but, you know, I, I love to garden myself. And there are all sorts of, you know, wildlife that comes in and they eat the tulips and things like that. And people really get so upset. And they're the same people who will say, no, we must protect the elephants. And, uh, you know, our friends in Africa will say, well, you're not even willing to share your garden. Why do we have to share the space with elephants? That's Ezzedine Downs, president and CEO for the International Fund of Animal Welfare. The organization started in 1969 when the world population was about 3 billion people, 3 billion plus. Now we have over 7 billion, more than double what it was when it began 50 years ago. Twice as many people are inhabiting this planet. You know, it really does boggle my mind to think of all of the challenges they are undertaking to provide a balance so that humans and animals can indeed thrive together. And it just began with an effort to stop commercial hunting for white coat seals on the east coast of Canada. 50 years later, they now have expanded their reach into over 40 countries and have 55 initiatives underway. If you want to get involved in this great cause, all you need to do is Google I-F-A-W. That's I-F-A-W. Now we move into a new topic as we move along today, and that is hyperbaric medicine. And we have two very distinguished experts on this field here with me right now. On the line from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in that area, is Paul S. Hoffaker, and he is the CEO of Hyperbaric Medicine International, and Dr. Javier Figueroa, who's from Seattle, and he is on the board of directors. And again, he is in the studio with us today. 
Let me just start out by asking both of you, first, Paul, since you are the furthest away. Uh, I don't know if that's a reason to do it, but it sounds good to me. As to how did you get involved in hyperbaric medicine? I had a, a long history of a nonprofit. It was called Renovating Hope. Renovating Hope went out through the whole country, and we rebuilt homes of military men and women who had um, the unfortunate experience of uh, different kinds of, of either incoming wounds from from rockets or shot, you know, being shot, and also at the same time these IEDs you hear so much about, and we would go around and revamp their home uh, according to their injuries to so make it a, an easier way to migrate around. And in that process, I found out how so many of our men and women who served were so close to the edge with their um, inability to process migraine headaches, constantly angry, couldn't sleep. Um, the wounds of war, the silent wounds of war you hear so much about were so much part of their life, causing them um, to do things that they normally wouldn't have done, whether it was abuse or leaving their home, not taking care of their children. And at the same time, they wanted to, but they couldn't. We had a, it came to me that we should try to do something more for them. And uh, there wasn't that much opportunity out there. Um, a lot of it was pharmaceuticals, and they repeatedly say they know better. They don't need to take meds to get better. So it just flowed into what I'm doing right now. Outstanding. And, you know, the hyperbaric uh, concept, uh, thinking about it earlier, it's not something new. This is not like woo-woo medicine or, or whatever, because hyperbaric chambers, I don't know, have been around. I remember it the first time on Sea Hunt when I'm watching a show there, and a diver came up with the bends. They put him in a hyperbaric chamber, and that is just simply putting oxygen in. So it's like, why is the big issue? It just seems so obvious to me, and I'm a layman on this, that putting more oxygen in the body would be a good thing, and uh, and going forth from there. Now, Javier, you got involved in this, and why did you get involved? Well, actually, I was brought on board by a company here in Issaquah, actually real close to, to Bellevue, uh, that was doing uh, hyperbaric treatments, uh, traditional hyperbaric treatments. And then what they're looking for was, uh, well, if we're doing traditional treatments, can we expand the indications or use them for, for other conditions? And part of my work was researching what was out there uh, in the literature that could support increasing the indications. And so we uh, looked at it, and, you know, traumatic brain injury was very high on the list, stroke, dementia potentially as well. And then we, were, we got involved with uh, the National Brain Injury and Re Rehabilitation Study, where they were actually uh, looking for volunteers, uh, veterans, service members uh, that had suffered a traumatic brain injury, and to go through a protocol using hyperbarics to basically recover from these silent uh, and invisible wounds uh, of war and service. And what I found, uh, I came in uh, to hyperbarics as a skeptic. I thought that, well, you know, the indications that we have are there for a reason, and expanding it more is just basically quack medicine. And boy, was I wrong. Uh, after not only reading and getting to know the literature really well, but also uh, experiencing and seeing how these uh, service members and also civilians improved after their brain injuries was a real shock for me because these were not small improvements. They were <clears throat> significant, really significant. Real dramatic improvement. Oh, uh, unbelievable in many cases. I don't want to get too far ahead because I've talked to you 
about this extensively before, but let's jump right to it because, again, let me just paint it for a moment. You, There's treatment and there's certainly other parts of the treatment that go along with the hyperbaric. I'm calling it hyperbaric chamber. Is that okay or That's whatever? That's fine. Yeah, that works. Okay. And um, so basically it's you get in a bed and you sit there and you get infused with oxygen while you have headphones on listening to voices of experience or maybe watching TV or something like that. You get a treatment. And then what you both, Paul and you, Javier, are both saying that this will improve brain function. It'll improve a lot of other areas of, let's say, problems that maybe people have. Let's go down that road for a moment. You both are convinced it works. Uh, I'm not convinced it works. I I know it works. And now the literature is really squarely on the side of, uh, of proponents of hyperbarics for traumatic brain injury. Uh, right now, there is now well over uh, seven clinical trials that have you know, all shown benefit, especially in the military population. And, uh, the, uh, and I, think, uh, you know, I think, Paul, you can speak to this as well. Uh, we've had uh, a lot of uh, nonprofit military groups, Task Force Dagger, the Green Beret Foundation, that are proponents of it because they've seen that it works in their, uh, in their cohorts. That's fascinating. Paul, do you have anything to add? Why is there resistance then to this? Why isn't this just more out there? Well, it, over time, you know, the rest of the world, I'm talking the rest of the developed world, we're talking Australia, Germany, Israel, Israel in particular, leads the world in using hyperbarics. They have so many combatants also. And they see the potential. They see the recovery rate of their their military. And so they took it further. They're now using it in autism, cancer, stroke, sports injuries, migraines, depression, multiple sclerosis. And when you see that, and they're putting serious money to it, and the, the results are staggering. And yet here in the country, the Europeans have about 93 approved diagnosis or conditions. In the United States, we have 13. 13. And there hasn't been a new condition approval for many years. You have to ask yourself, why is that? And we, we in the VA and many of the hospitals and so forth, we continually go down the path of pharmaceuticals, giving them meds that surprisingly, and this is important, surprisingly, the same meds we're giving Let's use our soldiers, for example, have the suicidal tendencies. We're losing our men and women who serve and are veterans. We know of 23 a day. It's more like 40 a day. Just think about that, 40 a day. And yet we continue to give them meds when, in fact, all this other, uh, these modalities that are coming to, to play right now, whether it's hyperbarics, you also hear low-level light. These aren't voodoo medicines. These are medicines, these are modalities that are helping, if not curing, a lot of these problems. We're also using it not only for a TBI, traumatic brain injury. We're also using it now for the, the other crisis in our country, uh, that with the opiate crisis. Do you know that so many of these people that are addicted to opiates want to get better? The biggest fear is the withdrawal symptoms. We're putting them in hyperbaric chamber. It's reducing as much as 50 to 60% of those 
those feelings of pain, distress, delusional feelings, and it's working. And the rest of the world is using it. If there's someone out there, you know, if there's someone out there who's listening to this and starting here, and there was, you know, you mentioned a lot of symptoms and a lot of afflictions that have happened that hyperbaric chambers can help. I don't want to leave this in the show and then at the end and not ask if someone was out there listening now and said, wow, I'd like to have my loved one or myself. I see this. I'd like to, you know, take a step in this direction. Where would they go? Who would they contact? I mean, we're in Seattle here. I mean, where they could find out more information about how they could get treated. I think that uh, they should visit the hyperbaricmedicineinternational.org website to get information uh, first. And uh, the second is just uh, go to, uh, on the web, type hyperbaric uh, oxygen uh, therapy clinics, and those will pop up. There's uh, several places here in in Seattle that you can do that. Uh, Again, not a lot of people know about it, and not a lot of doctors know about it. So that's another big thing. Well, I think they do, because, again, at eight years old, I knew it existed but only for the bends, as I right. mentioned earlier. So I think they know it's there, but I don't think they know it's as extensive and beyond the bends or something that it can treat, and it's actually out there not as much as it should be. But let me just say, um, get that in there, hyperbaricmedicineinternational.org? Correct. Okay, and then uh, that, again, hyperbaricmedicineinternational.org. That's for the people out there going, wow, I would like to investigate this further. So well, remember, most a lot of hospitals have hyperbaric chambers also in their skin graft, um, thermal burns, uh, those people that come in with uh, air gas embolism, carbon monoxide poisoning. Hyperbaric treats them very effectively. We're now talking the off-label that are, by the way, they will come on and be approved because there's so much pressure right now from the rest of the world and to people like Javier Figueroa that has done the study, has done the research and the science, and they see the benefit as well as the military. Thank you very much. Paul, we have to run. Javier, we have to run. Thank you so much for spending time with us. And Voices of Experience, we can pick up. I told Javier before we'll pick this up again. Very important subject. That's all the time we have for this edition of Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer. And have a great rest of the week and enjoy the sunshine ahead.